So the past informs the future, meaning I'm going to look at all the data to show me what has the company done, where has it come from, and what has traditionally been its performance. But investors are always looking to the future. They're always looking to where the company is going. So what they want to see is, A, do you have a view of where the company is going? As the business owner, do you have a strong view? What does that mean? Do you have a real plan that you are executing on that shows where the company is now? and where it's going to be. Hello and welcome to the EcomOps podcast. We believe that there is more than enough content focused on e-commerce marketing and not enough content celebrating the real heroes of e-commerce, those running the operation. Each week, we find and interview an e-commerce operations expert to share the secrets behind how some of this industry's most exciting businesses are run. I'm your host, Norbert Strappler, the CEO of SyncSpider. Hello and welcome to another EcomOps podcast. Today I'm talking to Chris, who is managing partner at GW Partners and founding partner at Southcall, and also co-founder of a 15 million e-commerce growth fund. So he can share a lot of insights on the current market, what investors and acquirers are looking for, and strategies for growing e-com businesses through EBITDA, SDE, optimization multiple expansions and e-commerce operations. Wow, what an intro. Will be a lot of fun today. Hey, Chris. Hey, Norbert. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for being with us. So we can learn a lot from you. Chris, can you tell me a bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I'll try and be succinct. I'll try and be quick. So I started in consumer products about 20, 20 plus years ago, working in baby products and also a little bit of toy mainly baby products. And I started off at a smaller Japanese-based company. We were about 22 million. Worked over in a few other different companies, ranging all the way up to about a half a billion. So got a, I got a really good grasp of what it means to operate inside of a real household brand, a company that is looking to sell their products through retail. And then, of course, as I was advancing my career, at the same time, e-commerce was becoming a very big player in terms of a channel, a real channel. You had big retailers that I worked with, Target and Walmart and Babies R Us and Toy Babies R Us, Toys R Us, Bed Bath & Beyond, who were starting to now pay attention. And then you had new players coming on the scene that I sold to like diapers.com and wayfair.com that uh, were these disruptors. And so it was really cool throughout my career as a sales and marketing executive to have both interactions with this kind of new class of retail e-commerce and watch the evolution of that. But at the same time, also really get my hands very dirty in, internally from sales to marketing to product development and really understand, hey, if you're going to be a successful consumer products company, this is what that has to look like. It's not like it's one blueprint, but there's some pretty strict fundamentals when it comes to being successful in consumer products. So yeah, it's been a, it was a fun ride. So leading up to Global Y, or excuse me, at GW Partners, and then also Southcall, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're a big investment banking town. So we're actually one of the, we're the second largest banking town outside of New York. So there's a lot of investment bankers here. And I teamed up with a few who had institutional experience. They worked in very large banks doing very big transactions and et cetera. They all started their own entrepreneurial journey at the same time, around the same time that I did. And by happenstance, we met and we started talking about just small business. It's probably the most simple way to put it. And e-commerce in particular. And at that time in 2017, we started to see demand for e-commerce businesses from buyers, most of which were individual, but there was some level of demand. And we said, hey, look at these charts. 
we did the typical kind of banking thing and looked at all the data and all the different charts and said, look where everything's headed. Everything is headed towards more and more shoppers online, more and more e-commerce businesses will become real brands, household type brands in the future. We should really dig our roots in early to help these business owners sell their company. And at the time, you really only had one of two choices. You either went to a business broker, which that's a completely different process than what you receive in an investment bank. There are, it's mm-hmm. very different. So we said, okay, well, you, you, their only choice is either going business broker or investment bank. But an investment bank, for the most part, looked at e-commerce at the time and said, first off, no, I don't want to touch it. And B, most of the businesses were way too small for their process. So we saw a yep. niche. We saw a way to, to get in to this space and really help business owners. But you know, coming from the background that I came from in consumer products and also just really understanding e-commerce and digital marketing, we were able to really dig in. Instead of just saying, hey, I can sell your business and I know who to send it to, it was more like, hey, let's actually analyze your company. Let's do an assessment. Let's dig in. Let's talk about what's really valuable and what's not. Let's talk about the channels that you're currently selling through and the acquisition channels and et cetera, et cetera. So that led to us doing GW Partners. Now, Southcall, which is the $50 million growth fund, that's a joint venture between GW Partners, Sellers Funding or Sellers Fi is who they are now, and Escala Multiply Me. Very similar to what we're doing on the GW side, except we inject working capital into the company. We take equity. So we're equity stakeholders and we're accelerating the business through strategic capital and strategic resources to then sell in two years or less. Brand X comes and says, I'm at that one, I'm at that point. And every business owner who's hearing this knows what I'm talking about. I'm at that point. I need, I need growth funding. I need to be able to grow. So I need funding to grow, whether it's through inventory or they've got a strategic plan that they want to execute on. And I also could really use just a C-suite, overnight C-suite, like a CMO type thinking, a CEO, a COO type thinking almost overnight. And that's really what Southcall represents. We get very much hands and feet involved in the business, but then we utilize the capital to grow the business quickly. So I tried to be quick. There's a lot to talk about. <laughs> perfect. It covered already two or three of my questions. So perfectly fine. You're doing my job as well. I love that. <laughs> no, that's really very interesting what you're actually doing because it really, I think it really can help a lot of e-commerce um, store owners or e-commerce businesses because the store owner is not everything. It's, it's the entire business behind that to really grow. So you put in your power, your manpower as well to identify the right acquisition channels for clients to lead into uh, some connections yep. and then open your network for them yep. so that they can further grow. Yep. And after that, you take care that this business going to get sold at the right price to the right acquirer. I'd say the most simplistic form, imagine for a moment If you had a buyer from a private equity fund or a corporate strategic, like a strategic, like a big corporation and a larger company in your category from their team sitting in your company for 12 months, telling you all of the things to do to make you more valuable. That's us. We have the answers to the test. We know, we know what buyers who have very deep pockets and can pay top multiple. We know what they're looking for. We know what they want. And so mm-hmm. imagine that for a moment. You had that buyer sitting in your company for 12 months telling you every single day, these are the things we need to work on. This is your weaknesses. Yeah. These are your strengths. This is how we can fix the weaknesses and exploit the strengths. That's effectively, in essence, what 
both South Call and GW Partners represents, for sure. Do you have a success story in mind that you could tell us a bit about? We're fairly new. We just started this past fall, so we don't have any full-term success stories on South Call. On GW, we sure do. We're in the midst right now of working with a beauty brand. It's a fake eyelash company, and we came to them. They were roughly about an eight, eight to seven, seven to eight million dollar company. They were doing all of the right things, but they just really needed that strategic resource and strategic advisory. And so we got involved in a very, I'd say, very deep manner. We were able to extrapolate and show them from a financial perspective: this is who, this is your company, and this is your, these are your guardrails. This is how much margin you need on every single channel. This is the data coming out of every acquisition channel. And this is where you're doing really well. And this is where you're not doing well. Fast forward, we've been involved now for nine months. Fast forward from when we got involved last summer to today. So, well, yeah, about nine months. The business is now on a track towards doing about 20 million this year. And wow. probably, awesome. and, and again, that's not just that's not just us coming in and going, oh, you were never going to do that without us. No, they were on a really good path. The business owner, the business owners, actually, very sharp people, ex McKinsey, ex-investment banking, private equity, just a really good, just a very, very intellectual way of seeing the business. But we were able to come in and inject a lot of our strategic resources into the company and help fast forward a lot of that growth and just put a lot of good infrastructure into the business. We helped them from an HR perspective, giving them lots of guidance on what to think about when it comes to hiring. We also helped them identify the right people so I, I use a Jim Collins, the good to great book. I use this analogy all the time, but it's getting the wrong people off the bus, the right people on the bus and the right people in the right seats. And that in essence is what we've done for this. And because of that, the result has been, yes, they are on a glide path towards next year selling the company for a very large number. I'd say, I'd say anywhere between 45 to $65 million for sure. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a success story. This is really a good one. I love that. Failure is all, always yeah. part of your story too. But yeah, no, it's always fun to talk about things like that, especially when you are working yeah. in a business that have, have the right fundamentals in place, for sure. You just recommended a book regarding the hiring. Can you tell us again about the book? Yeah, absolutely, man. It was the first business book I ever read back in, oh gosh, 2002. So I'm dating myself. So yeah, it was called Good to Great by Jim Collins. He actually did a case study of all the different leaders for Fortune, I think Fortune 500 companies, and talked mm -hmm. about the different levels and stages of leadership and how really highlighting level five. Level five is your leader who is very, has a very strong, prolific sense about him, doesn't necessarily need to be charismatic, is very humble, but can see the big picture better than say the celebrity CEO. And really, so one tidbit that I just, I actually need to reread it, but one big tidbit I got out of that was inf infrastructure. So to your point, hiring. And it's all about making sure that the right people are in the bus, the wrong people are off the bus and the right people are in the right seats. And what that really means is it's saying like, you're constantly doing an assessment of your business, making sure that the people that you have driving the specific functions of the company these are the right people. And it ne doesn't necessarily mean employees. It can also mean service providers and making sure that the right service providers are involved in your company. And we have a phrase that we use a lot with the clients that we work with, fail fast, fail really quickly. If something's not working, they're not the right people on the bus and you got to get them off and you got to get the right people on the bus. So yeah, a little tidbit, but yeah, it's called Good to Great by Jim Collins. It's a great book. 
That's awesome. It's a good recommendation. I even need to read that. Let's talk about some key factors. What are investors and acquirers look for in an e-commerce business? Yeah, look, I'll, again, we could probably do an entire college class on this, but I'll try and keep it simple. High level, investors are buying the future. They're not buying the past. So the past informs the future, meaning I'm going to look at all the data to, to show me what, ha what has the company done, where has it come from, and what has traditionally been its performance. But investors are always looking to the future. They're always looking to where the company is going. So what they want to see is, A, do you have a view of where the company is going? As the business owner, do you have a strong view? What does that mean? Do you have a real plan that you are executing on that shows where the company is now and where it's going to be? And do you have real success stories to show as you are executing on that plan? That's part of seeing the past and then looking towards the future. So what does that mean? What does the business plan look like? It can come in a lot of different forms, but fundamentally it looks like this. One, do you have diversification within your sales channels? And not just like being able to list out, oh, you could do this, you could do that. No, really, I have thought about going into this channel and here's how I view this channel. So for instance, I want to go into a new marketplace, but I don't want to cannibalize my sales on my website. So I'm going to treat this particular channel as a acquisition channel, not a sales channel. So here are all the different activities that we are going to do and that we have done to try and drive awareness of our brand through this new marketplace to bring them back to our website. Because if we capture them on our website, we've got a subscription in place. We've got all the things to keep them very sticky and in our community where a marketplace that can be very difficult. So it's really thinking through that, even when it comes to say retail, right? When you're thinking about a retail strategy for your company, A, who are you? What's your position? Who are you to the consumer? That's a fundamental question you have to answer. And why are they going to care when they walk through? First off, why is the buyer going to care? Secondly, if the buyer cares, how are you going to get the consumer to care when they're walking and they're seeing all of this noise on the shelf? What's your external strategy and your and both internal strategy to drive what's called ROS, rate of sale or POS, point of sale. What's your strategy for all that? So investors care about these things. They're not just looking, and this is a bit of a flaw when you hear a lot of business brokers get on and talk about selling your company. They go right to the profitability. Yes, you need to be profitable. But if you don't have a plan to show this particular buyer what this thing can be in the next five years, three years, you effectively are just, you are minimizing the value of your brand. You're minimizing the value mm -hmm. of your company because that's where you get massive multiple. That's where a Tomy, which is a big toy brand, will go to Fat Brain, which is another was another toy brand that was, I don't know, uh, probably doing 40, 50, 60 million and pay 14 times for it. That's where you start to get those types of multiples because you've grown yourself into this extremely valuable asset by deploying these wonderful fundamentals of consumer products and not just thinking about being product, profit, price. Like you're actually becoming something. I have a soft fact question because I'm really interested in, let's say I have a successful business. When I build something that is really already good, then I can sell it for multiples to an investor who has a vision. Why should I sell my company then? What's the reasons? It could be a lot of different reasons. Number one, you've reached a point and you know that by selling to this particular private equity fund, family office, more private equity fund, or a corporate, another corp big corporation, they've got the resources to take your successful brand from here mm -hmm. to here in the next five years. 
And oh, by the way, like private equity, for instance, they want you to come along for the ride. So they'll buy out, I'm using simple terms, but they'll buy out 80% of your company. So they'll pay you for 80% based on a value. And then you'll keep 20% equity into the new company moving forward. That happens a lot. Yeah. So you actually get to yeah. come, and we call it the proverbial second bite of the apple. Like you get to come along for the second ride. So that's one reason. Second reason is you have poured your life into this company. You've poured a lot of your own personal resources. You may have levered yourself with some debt to grow, which is not a bad thing. And you're just six, seven, five, four, whatever years in, and you're like, I'm done. I built this wonderful thing, and I want someone else to take it to the next level. I'm cashed out. I'll transition for six months. But then when you look at the money, the actual dollars, and you say, okay, I built this thing to a $10 million company. I've barely really taken much money because I've had to, again, this is more consumer products. I've had to pour a lot of cash back into the business for inventory, employees, growth, just in general growth. Well, I'm at 2 million of EBITDA. I'm able to now sell the company for 14 million. Now, all of a sudden you're going, that's like a hundred years of salary. So then there's also another reason where you don't sell the company at all. You just build it. I mean, we're working with someone right now where she never wants to sell the company, but she wants to grow it into a very valuable cash flowing entity. That's also great because that cash flow, go invest it anywhere else you want to go invest. It. There's this myth out there, and I hear it a lot in the education, which is like, oh, no, 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 you should always think about selling the co- sell, sell. And it's like, you don't have to take a step back. First off, you may not even be able to sell. That's a whole other conversation. And we can identify reasons on why that can't happen. Secondly, it may just be good to be a cash flowing entity. Third, you're not ready yet. You need a lot more time. You might need three or four years. And when that occurs, you're going to be very valuable. So no, yeah, don't always have to. That makes sense. Never sell too early. That That's, I think, very important. And when you talk about that, what are the critical elements of designing an exit strategy for an e-commerce business? The way that we work with our business owners is we reverse engineer. So we actually start with the end in mind, which is a pretty, pretty well-known business phrase. And so yeah. when you start with the end in mind, what you're really doing is you're defining long-term goals for the business owner. We only work with business owners. That's it. Small business mm. founder owners. So we're sitting down with them in our analysis phase, and we're saying, okay, what are your long-term goals for the company? Let's really define them. What are your personal goals? What are your company goals? Let's really start talking about these things because that is going to flow into how we then talk about the steps to get to those particular goals. You don't have goals in mind. You're just lost without a, you're lost in a dark forest without a flashlight. You're just roaming around going, okay, I just need to make money. Yeah, there's more to it than just that. So you define the goals and then you're working backwards from that. And that those steps are all defined in terms of, okay, you're only on Amazon right now. That's a problem. We need to diversify you away from just one channel. You have channel risk. What does channel risk mean? It means that investors are going to look at you at blah, 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 blah. So we need to diversify. So let's start talking about concentric circles on where we can go next and how those particular channels can bring value to the company. And the investors will look at you in a much different way. I'm giving you a little bit of a piece of how we think, but we always do an analysis phase, always. The analysis phase defines the goals, defines the steps, talks about typical SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, what needs to be done. And that's for us, getting nitty gritty, that's usually a two to three month process because we're digging in. We're getting all of the data financially, all of the qualitative and quantitative metrics from all the acquisition channels. We're running business intelligence tools inside of your company to extrapolate all that information. 
And then we give the business owner the view of, okay, here's where you are right now. We've defined your goals. Here's where you are now. And here now are the steps to get there. And then phase two for us is always some level of ex- it's execution. It's getting our own yes. hands and feet dirty and working with the business owner to now deploy the right strategic resources in one of, in any of those steps. And we're all driving towards the goal. Now, for most business owners, the goal is I want to sell my company and they give you a number. We actually drive them towards a number. It makes life a lot easier. And yeah. so we'll have check-ins, many check-ins to talk about where we're at. We'll scorecard where we're at, how we're improving, et cetera. We do a very, the way that we work on the GW side and even on the South Call side too, but the way that we work is very, it feels very much like a consulting, like Deloitte or McKinsey. It feels very much like that process. You said already, there is no blueprint for growing an e-commerce brand, but i From my own experience, I know that there are some steps that you can actually always recommend. Do you have such most effective ways to transform a company? Two or three things that you typically always recommend. Analysis phase, you're seeing where the company currently sits. We've got one client who really good on meta, like really they're killing it. They're doing a good job of acquiring consumers at a really good CAC. Their LTV is very healthy, but they need help when it comes to getting into retail. They needed help getting onto Amazon. They had a, they were on Amazon. It wasn't that great. We got them into Walmart. We're looking to expand them into Canada. Their international presence, we're starting the conversation around international. So that's where it gets a little bit tough to throw out these top three things. But I will say this, as by way of an example, let's just take someone who's only on Amazon because that's a lot of people. It's a lot of people in e-commerce. They start on Amazon. It's a really easy place to start. What are the things we need to do now? First, I would I'd spend a lot of time on your product, like a lot of time. That's where I would spend a lot of my time with the founder and owner. Let's assess your product. Let's get some people involved in the company to really dig deep, some real experts, product development experts. So, and then from there, we would identify the next channels to go into. If it's website, we would be spending a lot of time talking about, okay, we've got to develop the website. We've got to talk about CRO. We've got to talk about SEO. We've got to talk about meta. We've got to talk about Google ads, Pinterest, Twitter, all the different acquisition channels that are going to make sense. Email and retention, SMS, all of those things and building out a plan for this is the right way to execute. And here's how we're going to test. This is the right way to execute. So if you were to really boil it down though, and I would give, I actually will go back to one thing. In consumer products, it's all about your product, period. Yeah. Like period. I don't mean to sound crass when I say this, but my a guy that I was mentored by in consumer products, very successful guy in the baby products industry was EVP and president and CEO of some very large companies. He said something that will never leave my mind. You can only sell a poop sandwich once. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. So, yeah. And so yeah. It's, it's very true, it's true when it comes to product. That the product must be perfect and the story around the product and the brands. If you look at the big brands, let's look at Red Bull. There are so many different energy drinks out there already. Yeah. But Red Bull did the thing. They have the story, they have the entire story, the sports sponsorships and everything that they do. And this makes it so unique. That's where you see a lot of very successful brands. They've got product that people love and they delight. I call it delighting the consumer. They delight the consumer. Sometimes that's a mixture of product and just your customer service in general, but know who they are and the consumer understands who they are. That's where you start to find real success. And to your point, that's more than just product development. That's also positioning and your story and your branding. 
And a lot of folks who are just on Amazon, small business owners, look, I commend them. They took the leap. They took the leap and they just dove off the cliff and said, I'm becoming an entrepreneur. And they did what they thought was best. But now where you've got a lot of them, that, a lot of business owners that have hit five, six, seven million, like on a channel like Amazon, they need help from outside resources to take them from there to here. They've done a great job getting here, but now they need a lot of help getting up here. And so that's really yeah. where we come in. Good question, by the way. At what point should it come to you? Yeah, I'll speak of it. I'll talk to it in a more subjective way. I really do. And this is because I speak to hundreds. I've spoken to, I don't speak to every month, but <laughs> I've spoken to hundreds upon hundreds of business owners in the six years I've been involved in this. And most of it has been, I'm ready to sell. But in more recent history with the market not being as healthy as it once was from, a, from an acquisition perspective, a lot of them are needing help. And I would say they come to us when they feel that moment, not of desperation, but I really wish I just had, I really just wish I had more brains in the company. I just really wish I had someone I could speak to every day or every week about what's going on and strategize with me on how to make this company better and how to grow this business and really start talking through all of the different activities that need to occur. And they also have trusted people that they can introduce me to and deploy into the business. What I have mm -hmm. found that usually comes around that four to $7 million mark. I, I know it sounds weird because it's how can you just plug a number on it? That's just what I've seen in the data when I talk to people. They're usually at about that point and they're like, hey, I really know I need to grow. I, I need help. I need someone to help me. And if I hire someone, I'm nervous to hire someone full time because that's a big commitment. Whereas with us now on South Call side, we're, we become equity stakeholders with you, but we're not taking anything out of the company. We're just equity. We have we take equity with you. With the, On the GW side, they may be flush with cash, but they need help. And we're outside contractors, let's just be blunt, you can let us go at any time. <laughs> and so it's a much less, it's a less risky way to bring people, deploy people into your company and get that brain trust, get that planning, big picture, big thinking. But then also you've got somebody in there that is not afraid to get their hands dirty and say, hey, let's do this together. I think this is important when you say on your website, you say yourself, you're feeling like a partner. Yeah. yeah. Are you being a partner? And I think that's the most important thing. When you really work together on growing a company and sell it together, it makes total sense to, to have equity because this is most trustful way to be engaged in a business. That's right. Yeah, to be part of the story. That's right. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. What are the common mistakes that e-commerce businesses are doing at the moment when they are planning an exit? How can they avoid them? They're too laser focused on either one sales channel or one acquisition channel. If you're yeah. doing that, you're dead. Not dead, but you put yourself into a very risky category when all you do is focus on, I need meta, I need meta to drive my sales, or I need mm -hmm. Amazon to drive my sales for me. You have stories out there and some people listening might go, oh, yeah, that, that's not true. I'm only Amazon. I've been only Amazon and I'm doing fine. I can tell you, you're in a small percentage of people majority of business owners, they need to de-risk their company and move away from just one acquisition channel or one sales channel. That's a very common mistake. Another very common mistake, honestly, Norbert, people just don't know their numbers. Like when you ask them, what's your LTV? What's your CAC? What's your average CPM? 
What's your retention rate look like? What's your attribution data look like? What's your last click attribution? All these types of questions, that's just on the digital marketing side of things or like more of the qualitative slash quantitative. But then when you start to get into finance, lots of business owners don't know how much money they're even making. They don't have cash flow, but I don't blame them. They're not finance people. And to be really blunt, we have not really met a whole lot of great accounting firms in this space. And usually what we have to end up doing is coming in and cleaning up a lot of books and showing the business owner. Because there's two ways to show numbers to a business owner. One is your P&L. Like, this is your P&L. This is your profit and loss statement. And this is what an investor wants to look like look at. But, but what matters more to a business owner day in, day out, show me my cash flow. I need to understand because the cash flow statement looks backwards. They need a cash flow forecast, all the inputs, all the outputs, and where is this going? And a stress test on that too. So when you can show a business owner, hey, here's your forecast, let's stress test this. Let's say your numbers go down on these two channels by 10%. This is what it does to your cash flow. Like this starts to become very enlightening and it drives a much different conversation for the business owner and it drives a very different conversation for us with the business owner as well. So I'd say that's another very common, like relying on not one acquisition or sales channel and then not knowing your numbers. Those are very much common mistakes. And I can absolutely underline that with the one channel because it happens not to sell them that a channel is being hacked even with two-factor authorization. I've seen that on Amazon for some customers already that they've been hacked on Amazon and the account went down for several weeks yeah. until it got unlocked. And that's really a real problem. First of all, you don't get the money that is in the account, so you're, you can get financial problems. And on the other hand, You lose your visibility, you That's lose right. the new revenue, of- you have products on stock, people to pay. So just focusing on one channel is can go good, can work out, but could also be the death of the company. Exactly. Yeah. Totally agree. And that's a problem. Last question for the day, Chris. Who has taught you the most about e-commerce in your career? Who has taught me the most about e-commerce? Oh, wow. Everyone says that. Everyone in every... Oh, wow. That's a question. <laughs> It is. Really, this so is, here's how I started. Yeah. I'll tell you how I started. And I think I started like a lot of people because I, I was selling to big box retailers. We call them big box retailers. Like big, mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier, Walmart and Target and Bed Bath and Beyond, Toys R Us, Babies R Us, Burlington, et cetera. And I will never forget the moment I was selling to a buyer And they were giving me so much subjective opinion about how they felt about my product and how the consumer was going to react to the product. And I went, what makes you the gatekeeper in my mind? I was like, what authority do you actually have to represent the consumer? And this was around 2014. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go talk to the consumer because there are many, many ways to now talk to the consumer. I'm going to go do that. So I started on Amazon because that was the easiest way to get a widget up and sold up marketed, sold, right? So I just went and I did all the white papers, man. <laughs> like I listened to all the podcasts at the time. Kevin King is a big Amazon guy. Manny Coates, who started Helium 10. I listened to their podcast. I know Kevin now. He's become a friend. And I, when I first talked to Kevin, I was like, hey, man, you taught me Amazon. He's like, what? Huh? Who are you? <laughs> I said, all your podcasts, <laughs> man. Like all of your podcasts. I listened to all of them. And I really learned at that time how to take a widget and sell it through Seller Central. And then from there, I just became a student of digital marketing. So I learned SEO. My, my brother-in-law is a really big SEO guy, brilliant at it, actually. 
Um, he worked for CNET for a while and has worked on some pretty big media content sites. So I've talked to him a lot. So by osmosis, learning a ton about like SEO and how it's evolved over the years, working with some great service providers, to be blunt, like really top-notch service providers, both digital marketing agencies. We, we are working with a CRO agency right now that is just brilliant, so good at what they do. And they're so insightful. And they're also very educational driven. So like they take the time to actually share with you, like, here's what we're doing and here's why we did it. And here's how the consumer responded to it. It's a myriad of things. I know it's been this mosaic of different ways to learn e-commerce. What about you? How'd you learn? Who was your mentor? I'd be curious. Oh my gosh. I think my dad actually. Yeah. He, he had a company back then and sold electronic parts, not electronic equipment, electronic parts and mostly to schools. So it was in the time when in the school for electronics, you built your own radios and whatever. Yeah. I don't know the, the right English words for that. No, I understand. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. They built it together and he had a company and, and sold those things to schools yeah, and private who cool. wanted to play around with it. Yeah. And when I was 14 years old, I was asked by him for a summer job. Yeah. Would you like to build the next catalog? And yeah. Why not? I went two or three weeks to an, an ads agency and they showed me how to use the software product to build such a catalog. They did the title and the concept of the design and I made, I don't know how many pages it was, but a lot of pages with all the products inside and it got printed. So back then, I'm now 43 year, years old, back then there was no e-commerce. So we printed catalogs. Hey, I'm 43, man. ordered by phone and by fax. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> you know that time, this was, this was cool and I learned a lot. I learned a lot from the advertising part Yeah. and yeah. how to have a stock and a stock location, a warehouse. And when we did the inventory, there was so many small parts and everything needed to be counted somehow. So this was really a wonderful time. Yeah. Yeah. And I learned a lot there. Yeah. And it's those moments, I think, right? Like you have though that defined, like for me, just like you, I wasn't in the guts of anything. And like you, it's okay. This one thing, I'm going to dive in and you learn. And then now your brain is just wired towards, okay. Focused on that. This makes sense. And the rest is, as you said, a lot of self-education. White papers, podcasts, YouTube videos. Yes. And <laughs> even more Google. Google is yes. one of the best instructors. Google is you your friend. Have. I've learned how I've, I have advanced in Excel thanks to Google. Where I'm yeah. like, how do I do this? And I Google it and boom, right there. No, I think it's a very similar type story where you just are like, okay, I'm thrown into the ocean. I got to learn how to swim. And in five years, when we do the interview again, or when we do the interview somewhere else, we we'll see chat GPT. <laughs> in fact, AI will, it'll be your avatar and my avatar doing the podcast and Maybe we'll doing the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then we will write an email. Did we meet already? Okay. No. <laughs> right. Thank you so much, Chris, yeah. for your time. This was really a pleasure. And I wish you all the best. And yeah, talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's it for this episode of the Ecom Ops Podcast. If you enjoyed listening and would like us to find and interview more e-commerce operations experts, please search for Ecom Ops Podcast in your favorite podcast listening app. And then subscribe, rate, and review. Until next time. 